Hello and welcome to the Mr. Brown podcast, where I reflect on my journey as an early career teacher with a special focus on mental health. I am your host, James Brown. Salutations. The first thing I would like to talk about today is rewards. So my school, like many schools I'd imagine, operates a points-based reward system. So a student in my school, if they are proactive, responsible, inquisitive, determined or engaged, can earn a pride point, P-R-I-D-E. And recently they have also broken down the responsible aspect of pride, the R, into six further behaviours. Now let's see if I can remember them. They are honesty, courage, considerateness, respect, kindness, and one more. Gratitude. There we go. Got there. So for displaying any of these behaviours, students at my school can earn pride points. Now, I'm a year nine tutor. And every Friday morning, we look as a tutor group at how many pride points we have accumulated as a group. And it is compared with the other tutor groups in year nine. So this information is sent to us in a PowerPoint presentation. And my students, bless them, are forever at the bottom of the pile. They don't seem to do very well when it comes to being rewarded pride points. And so every week on a Friday, we have to have this bit of a conversation about what pride points mean and how just because they aren't being rewarded pride points, or not as many as students in other groups, that doesn't mean that they're not good students, let alone good people. So I try to downplay the importance of pride points. I tell them, for instance, that it might say more about the teachers who teach you rather than you as students, because some teachers hand out a lot more pride points than other teachers. And this week, we were again at the bottom of the pile. I went into a little more detail about why some teachers might refrain from giving out pride points or indeed from giving out external rewards more generally. And this is something that I've researched in quite a lot of depth for my master's. So much of my master's so far has involved looking at motivation and external rewards, even symbolic rewards like pride points, can be really problematic when it comes to motivation. And I think a lot of teachers, especially more experienced teachers, appreciate this. And so perhaps we'll only use pride points sparingly. But anyway, so what's the problem? Suppose you have a student in your class, let's call him Damien, who is rude to teachers. 
He's rude to you on a daily basis. He's rude to everyone. He's just a rude young man. And then one day, seemingly out of the blue, Damien says thank you. And you nearly fall off your chair in surprise. And in your excitement, you reward Damien with a pride point. Maybe more than one pride point for Damien. Now, what is this likely to do to Damien's motivation to say thank you? Well, it runs the risk of undermining whatever autonomous force it was that compelled him to say thank you in the first place. He may come to see saying thank you as a means to an end, that end being pride points. He may come to care more about the pride points than the behaviour for which they're being awarded. In this case, saying thank you. And he may thereby also come to experience the rewards as controlling his behaviour. And it's that controlling aspect that can really do damage to his motivation to say thank you. So rewards are bad for Damien with respect to this particular behaviour, saying thank you. But the damage isn't confined just to that behaviour. So suppose that Damien struggled with being polite, as we've seen, but maybe he had always been honest. Now, however, he's thinking, well, if I'm getting rewarded for saying thank you, then why aren't I being rewarded for being truthful as well. I want rewards for being honest. In the literature, they call this a spillover effect. So the rewards have not only undermined the target behaviour, i.e. saying thank you, but here they've also undermined related behaviours. They've spilled over from gratitude into honesty, and now we've got a whole group of related behaviours that are at risk. And the damage isn't limited to just behaviours within Damien. Suppose there's another student in the class, let's call her Eliza. Eliza has always been a perfect student, yet now she is seeing Damien being rewarded for something so simple as saying thank you, and she has said thank you every day of her life. And so she thinks, well, if Damien's being rewarded for that, then why aren't I being rewarded too? And so you can start to see how using external rewards can be really damaging. If you're trying to encourage students to autonomously do the right thing, so that means, you know, do the right thing because they want to do it themselves, then rewards can be very, very damaging indeed. And going back to that pride point competition as well, motivation is certainly undermined by feeling controlled in the way that you might feel controlled by a reward. But it's also undermined by feelings of incompetence. And when my students see each and every week that they are at the bottom of the pile yet again, when it comes to accumulating pride points, that's not going to make them feel like they can win this competition, this pride point competition. Competitions are only motivating if you feel you can win them. But again, they can also be 
they're motivating in a controlling way. So this whole system, which I'm sure isn't limited to just my school, I'm sure they have similar systems in lots of schools, is really problematic. And so the question arises, well, if not with external rewards, how are you meant to motivate students? Well, according to the literature, and I will provide references in a moment, if you want to motivate someone, then you need to, well, let's be more specific. If you want to motivate someone to engage in a particular behaviour, then you need to satisfy their innate psychological needs for autonomy, competence and relatedness with respect to that behaviour. Now, there is a positive interaction effect amongst these needs. So if you can make someone feel competent with respect to a certain behaviour and make them feel like they're part of a community that values them and that behaviour, so if you satisfy those two needs for competence and relatedness, then that will enhance their feelings of autonomy. So they'll be far more likely to choose to engage in that behaviour. And so how do you do that? How do you make students feel autonomous, competent and valued? Well, you have to give them choices. You have to highlight what choices they do have. You have to make them feel competent with respect to those choices. So when it comes to promoting gratitude, for example, do students actually know how to, to demonstrate gratitude? They need to be taught. And when it comes to relatedness, if they take a step in the right direction, then they need to be praised verbally. So verbal rewards don't have the same negative effect as external rewards do. In fact, verbal rewards can really enhance motivation. Positive feedback, for example, and saying you're proud of a student. So there we have it, a, a brief discussion about the effect of rewards on motivation. If you're interested in finding out more about this stuff, then I recommend the work of Ryan and Desi. They've been investigating this stuff for best part of 40 years now. And there's another more recent article by Goobler, which discusses specifically these spillover effects. So how rewards can undermine not only the target behavior, but also related behaviors and also related behaviors in other people. I'll put some links in the show notes. Now, just a quick story about my year seven class. This week, I taught my year sevens about prime numbers. So these are numbers that have exactly two factors, one and themselves. Three, for example, is a prime number because the only two numbers that divide three are one and three. So is five, so is seven. So your first few prime numbers are 2, 3, 5, 7, 11, 13, 17, 19, etc. I don't think I missed any out there. We had them written up on the board. And before this unit, my year sevens did a unit on sequences. Where you have to spot the pattern among strings of numbers. So how much is the sequence going up by each term, for example? So I'd written 
the first 10 or so prime numbers on the board. And I said to them, who can spot the pattern? And I gave them two minutes to discuss whether they could find a pattern among the primes. After two minutes, I brought them back together and there were some really interesting suggestions. They'd spotted some some very interesting things, but of course, none of these things actually constituted a pattern amongst the primes. Not a pattern that you could use to predict the next prime anyway, because that has eluded mathematicians forever. No mathematician has ever been able to, to figure out a pattern amongst the primes. And so I said this to them. I said, good effort, but sadly, you've fallen short. If you had spotted a pattern amongst the primes, you would immediately become the most famous mathematician in history. And their faces lit up. And at this point, some of them started to say, oh, I could do it. I could find I could find a I could find a pattern. And they wanted to spend they wanted more time to spend investigating patterns amongst the primes. But sadly, we had to move on. But some of them, some of them said they were going to go away and, and figure it out at home, which was just wonderful. And I said to them, well, if you do, if you do figure it out, then you will become the most famous mathematician in history. And they, they said to me, OK, cool, wonderful. Can I also have a pride point? <laughs> that was their response. To which I said, look, if you do it, if you... If you figure out a pattern amongst the primes, you'll become the most celebrated mathematician in history. And you know what? I'll give you two pride points. And I had three students who came to me the next day with wonderful ideas about patterns amongst the primes. And I did give them some pride points for that. Although should I have? I've just I've just spent 15 minutes discussing how problematic these things can be. But I gave them um, a few inquisitive pride points. What I tried to do, however, was really link it back to the behaviour. So rewards can be controlling or they can be less controlling. So expected rewards are more controlling than unexpected rewards. And it's important for rewards to be informative. Students need to know exactly why they're getting them. So rewards can be, they have a place, but they must be used very carefully. Again, I'm not sure whether I used them correctly in that scenario, but I had said I'd I'd, I'd award some pride points, so I felt I had to stand by that. Okay, one final thing to discuss this week. But before that, my usual Patreon plea. This podcast, this episode, took around two or three hours to produce. And that's about average. And I tried to produce two episodes a month. So that's between four and six hours of work a month that I put into this podcast. Now, if you feel that that work is worth at least the price of a coffee, so two to three pounds a month, then please consider becoming a patron and helping me cover the cost of producing the podcast. It doesn't cost a lot, but it does cost a little. Any contribution will be greatly appreciated. And as an extra little incentive, I have just recently began to post exclusively on my Patreon channel videos of my podcast recording sessions. And I'm posting them one week prior to publication of the episode. As always, I'll leave a link to my Patreon page channel. I don't know what to call it when it comes to Patreon. YouTube is clearly a channel. 
Facebook is clearly a page. Don't know what Patreon is yet, but I'm going to leave a link to my Patreon in the show notes. Thank you. The final thing. I've mentioned it on the podcast before. I've been struggling with my computer science class this year. They're a lively bunch, several characters amongst them. It's a year nine class, although that rotation has ended now, so I'll have a new class next week. But yeah, there were some tricky students in there. And originally, I was also in a very difficult classroom. Thankfully, we were moved out of that classroom. That did make a big difference. And also, of course, computer science is not my subject specialism. So it was difficult, and I did struggle at times managing behaviour. But just last week, the trainee has taken over teaching, or has taken over some of the teaching for my Year 9 computer science class, and she is a computer science subject specialist. So she has been designing and delivering some content, and I've just been managing behaviour. I'm basically the bouncer. And that, of course, makes a difference when you can divide the labour like that instead of one teacher having to try to do it all. Instead, you've got two. That does make a big difference. But I think what made the real difference was that the task she designed was better than anything I had delivered up until that point. They were learning about while loops in programming and the trainee had come up with this wonderful idea where they could learn to program rock, paper, scissors. So they could write a program which would allow them to play rock, paper, scissors with the computer and learn something about while loops and programming along the way. And they loved it. They thought it was great. They were more engaged than they have been all year. And I wanted to highlight this because, again, it seems to show that lesson design, task design, lesson planning more generally, is very much a factor when it comes to poor behaviour. If you can give even the trickiest of students something to do that they're interested in and something they can access, so again, I think this goes back to those two psychological needs for autonomy and competence. Students need to feel like they want to do what it is you're asking them to do. You need to make it exciting and they need to feel like they can do it, whatever it is you're asking them to do. If you can do that, then they will do what it is you want them to do. And that's what they did. Like I said, they were more engaged than they have been all year. And the lessons were really good. So yes, I think poor behaviour can, to an extent, be preempted by careful lesson planning and careful task design. And of course, this takes a great deal of, of effort and expertise and time, which we might not always have as a teacher. But I think it's, it's worth it, especially if you can get a trainee to do all the legwork. Okay, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and we will speak again in two weeks' time. If you enjoyed this episode, please spread the word in person and on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at MrBrownPod or email MrBrownPod at gmail.com. 
please subscribe, rate and review in your directory of choice. Please also consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash mrbrownpod and helping me cover the cost of producing the podcast. Thank you and talk again soon.